est life, uh, you'll catch a glimpse of people living their best life. Perhaps it will be waking up uh, in a house like this. This one. There we go. Imagine waking up on the edge of a rock with this glass ceiling with the sun rising. Or perhaps it will be a photograph of someone eating delicious fried chicken tenders or even, or even bunning snags or, or unlimited quarter pounders. That would be exciting. And then there's, for some of us, it will actually be working off those fried chicken or bunning snags at the gym. There we go, F45, getting it done. For others, it will be taking off on that next trip. And I love in that video, how good would that be to have an unlimited plane, uh, plane ticket? That would be phenomenal. Uh, then there's the concert and joining thousands of other people as you kind of rock along or bop along or whatever to whatever your favorite band is. And then lastly, the best life is the doggo. (laughs) With his head out the window. If you're not into dogs, maybe you have your turtle out the window, just kind of enjoying the freedom of turtle life. But here's the thing. The reality is... When we step back from the highlights reel that we kind of see online, uh, most of us are, bat- are battlers. That is, uh, we, even when we get good things in life, uh, we're not necessarily satisfied with them. We, we might get to enjoy good things and good things in our life, but they fall short of our expectations. So I've got a question for you, and the question is this. What does Jesus say about the best life? Now, some of you might be surprised that Jesus has anything to say about the best life because people often think that uh, Jesus and Christianity actually is a killjoy and doesn't want us to have a good life, doesn't want us to have the best life, doesn't want us to enjoy fun things. But Jesus does have something to say. And so what does Jesus say about the best life? Now, there is an offer tonight. Jesus wants you to have the best life. Now, maybe you're new to Jesus and Jesus stuff. You didn't grow up in a religious family. We're so glad that you're here. I am glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're connected in with someone who's connected in with one of the youth groups that are part of this event tonight. But I want you to understand that regardless of your background, Jesus makes an offer to all people regardless of who we are, regardless of where we've come from. And so what does Jesus say about the best life? Now, interestingly, and maybe you even started to think this when you kind of connect what I'm saying in with the part of the Bible that we've already had read out for us, because we're going to land in the, a scene where Jesus is being executed, <laughs> Uh, And so the verses are coming from Luke chapter 23. We've already had the passage read out for us. Uh, And this is written by a dude named Luke. He's one of Jesus' biographers. Uh, And let's kind of track back into the text and get uh, the context. Have a look at sentence number 32. It should pop up on the screen as well. It says this, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him, Jesus. 
And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. We've got three people led out to be crucified. Jesus and two criminals. Now, crucifixion, uh, for those who don't know much about it, was a deliberately cruel form of execution. Uh, The goal was to prolong death and therefore increase pain and suffering for crucifixion's victims. Now, the Roman Empire in the first century had perfected the art of crucifixion. They were really good at killing people and it was reserved for the lowest of low criminals. It was so barbaric that Roman citizens were spared from such a, a horrific death penalty. But it's interesting Here's the thing with crucifixion, and and the Bible talks about crucifixion, it talks about the crucifixion of Jesus, but the Bible doesn't make a big deal of the physical pain of crucifixion. Maybe you noticed it there in verse 33, sentence 33, it just simply says, there they crucified him. It doesn't make a big deal of the nails being driven in, it doesn't make a big deal of the excruciating pain of how terrible crucifixion is. It gets straight to the point. You see, what we learn from this scene is is not the physical pain of Jesus' crucifixion, but we actually learn something from the interactions that Jesus has in this scene with the two criminals being crucified beside him. Now, there's lots of ways that people respond to Jesus today. Uh, Some people think that Jesus is uh, a good teacher. Uh, Others think that Jesus is irrelevant Some would think that Jesus is a myth, and yet others worship Jesus as God. And in these moments, before Jesus dies on the cross, there's a whole bunch of different responses to Jesus in this moment. But really, when you boil it down, there's ultimately, both in this scene and in our world today, there's ultimately only two responses to Jesus. Response one, rejecting Jesus. Response one, rejecting Jesus. As we reread the text that's already been read out for us, I want you to notice that, that, that most of the responses to Jesus in this moment are actually summarized as a rejection of Jesus. Have a look at sentence 35. It says, and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. The rulers, these, are, these people are a big deal, they scoff. What does that mean? It means they're making fun of Jesus. They're saying, hey, you, you think you're the Christ of God? The chosen one is the phrase they pick up. And the Christ of God, the chosen one, was the king that God had promised would come. It was this long-awaited Messiah figure who was better than any Marvel superhero. And his job was to come and fix the mess and brokenness in the world. And so what good is it if this guy is the chosen king? What good is it if he is dying on a cross? 
but it's not just the rulers. Track with me down there into verse 36, sentence 36. The soldiers jump in on the action. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. The soldiers, not only are they physically nailing him to the cross, but they're now mocking him. They're adding insult to injury as they make fun of Jesus. But the insults don't stop there. Even the sign writer gets in on the action. Look at sentence 38. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. The sign writer doesn't really think Jesus is the king of the Jews. He thinks Jesus is crazy. He's he's writing this sign above his head, kind of going, look at this guy. He thinks he's the king. What a loser, is effectively what that sign really meant from the one who wrote it. And remember, there were three people led out to be crucified. We've got Jesus, and on either side of Jesus, we've got two criminals. Look at the way that one of the criminals responded to him. Sentence 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now, Jesus says he is the king, but now he's dying. You know, Jesus even comes along and makes some pretty bold claims. Jesus claims to be God in flesh. God come amongst us. And how is it possible that God come amongst us, that Jesus could be on a cross, being executed in such a humiliating way? So much shame, so much mocking, so much ridicule in this moment. If this really is the king of the universe, why? If he's so powerful, why would he be there? The soldiers, the rulers, the sign writer, the criminal, all of them together are ridiculing and rejecting Jesus. Response one, rejecting Jesus. But there's a second response. Response two in this text is accepting Jesus. Response two, accepting Jesus. It's really interesting. One of those criminals was having a crack at Jesus, but the other criminal, unlike everyone else, at least in these two paragraphs, he accepts Jesus. He recognizes who Jesus really is. Why is it that he responds so differently from those who are ridiculing and rejecting Jesus? Well, it's because he sees things clearly. He sees things clearly. Now, uh, about a year ago, uh, with the help of Google, uh, I diagnosed myself with ADHD. Um, Anyone who's ever been in my class before at school would have definitely known that. Uh, Anyone would know that about me, right? Now, one of the things that Google told me is that people who have ADHD struggle to concentrate while reading. Yep, that's me. And glasses may well help someone with ADHD to concentrate while reading. And so I made a visit to the optometrist. I told her my story. She said, yeah, maybe if you've got ADHD, this might help you. And so why don't we test out your eyes and see how they go? And she did the test and she said, well, actually, you need glasses, idiot. (laughs) She didn't call me an idiot. But she said, no, you really need glasses. This isn't just something that might help you. You really need glasses. And oh my goodness, it was a miracle. I got these glasses. And I put them on, 
And I'm like, the words are no longer blurry. Now, I didn't think they were blurry. I thought they were fine. I'm looking at the Kindle and I'm going, this is fine, but I'm getting sleepy. No, you can't see the words properly, Dave. And it was amazing to be able to see with clarity. This second criminal, he's got the right glasses on. He can see with clarity compared to at least everyone else that we've just seen in the way that they respond. Now, there's two things that we need to see clearly in order to be one who responds with the response of accepting Jesus. What are the two things that he sees clearly first? He sees himself clearly. He sees himself clearly. He has an accurate self-assessment, right? He doesn't have an opinion of himself that's too high. He's not kidding himself about who he is. He knows he's currently on a cross. He's looking at himself through the right lens. Have a look with me. Uh, Sentence number 40. But the other, the other criminal, rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. He's real with himself, right? He knows that he is getting what he deserves. He he knows that he and the other criminal on the other side of Jesus, that that they are being punished for the crimes they've committed. He understands justice. Now, he's not necessarily saying, hey, I'm pro-capital punishment, but hey, at least in this time and this context, he knows that the crimes he's committed are worthy of death, even death upon a cross. He knows he's broken the laws. He knows that his deeds have fallen short. And so in his last moments, he has a reality check. What a contrast to the other criminal who's just spoken. He he quits with the excuses. He owns up to his behavior and owns up to the just consequences for his crime. Got two mirrors that are up on the screen. I want you to imagine for a moment looking into one of those mirrors and kind of imagining as you think about yourself, what do you see? Normally, when I look in the mirror, this is what I see. I'm not sure why you're laughing. That's what I normally see. When I'm honest with myself, when I'm kind of being real, this is what I see. Again, I don't know why you're laughing. It's beautiful. (laughs) Now, bear with me for a moment. Seeing yourself clearly has got nothing to do with your physical appearance, okay? Just, Just for the lols. That's all that was. But, so often we, we think of ourselves as better looking than we are. 
Again, I'm not talking just about physical appearances. We, we think of ourselves as better than others or not that bad or by and large, I'm a pretty good person. That, that's normally our assessment of who we are, how we roll and how we see ourselves. And yet the second criminal here, I think he's a great encouragement for us tonight to be real. You may not be a criminal. You might be, and we're glad that you're here. Just don't take my wallet. <laughs> you, you can, it's, you're welcome to. Uh, no, you're not. You may not be a criminal, but here's what the Bible says. This is the Bible's assessment of each and every single person in this room. It's that we are all guilty of sin. We're all guilty of sin. Now, what's sin? Sin, I guess, is kind of two things. Sin is rule-breaking and rule-making, right? Track with me. Rule-breaking in that God makes rules and we break them. We don't do the stuff He says to do and we do do the stuff He says don't do. There's kind of rule-breaking and that's kind of an obvious part of what sin is. But I think the deeper heart issue of sin is rule-making. It's not just that we break God's rules, it's, man, we don't even care about God's rules, We make up our own rules. We live as if we are God. We are in control. We set up our system for living and how we'll go about navigating this life. This is my truth. This is who I am. I'm going to be me. And this is the pathway that I'm going to course for myself. Do you see yourself with that type of clarity? (laughs) That you are a rule breaker and a rule maker? Do you see yourself as you look into the mirror of your life, as you're informed by your experiences and as you're informed by the mirror of the Bible and the Bible's assessment of each and every single person, do you see yourself with that type of clarity? But here's the thing, it's more than in this second criminal, it's more than just seeing himself clearly. One of the things that helps him and I think will help us to see ourselves all the more clearly is... To see Jesus clearly. The second part of accepting Jesus' right response is to see him clearly, to see him through the right lens. And I need to ask you tonight, or even prompt you to think about whether you have misunderstood Jesus. And my guess is you could have misunderstood Jesus if you're from a religious family. You might have a whole bunch of hang-ups about who Jesus is and, and misunderstandings of who Jesus is because you're so familiar with him. But likewise, there's those of us that may not be from a religious background and, and you've kind of, I don't know, watched a YouTube video that said Jesus is dumb and you believe it. Perhaps we've misunderstood who Jesus is. Let's look at the clarity that the second criminal has on who Jesus is. Pick it up with me, sentence number 41. He says, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. He knows that Jesus does not deserve to be there on that cross. Unlike him and unlike the other criminal, Jesus is without sin. He is without guilt. He is without shame. He is the only one of whom it can be said he was without sin. Jesus lived the perfect life in obedience to his Father. 
In, Jesus, in the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus, we, we see these religious teachers don't like Jesus and they keep trying to trip up Jesus, catch him out in his words, but they got nothing. And likewise, earlier in this chapter, Luke chapter 23, Jesus is on trial and the, the ruler Pilate knows that Jesus, there's, there's nothing on him. He's not guilty of any crime, and yet Pilate is a people pleaser, and so rather than acting with justice, he commits a great crime against Jesus. But this criminal sees that Jesus, no, no, Jesus is the real deal. Jesus is without sin, but more than that, he sees, look at sentence 42, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Not only does he believe that Jesus is without guilt, without sin, he can recognize something in Jesus right here, that Jesus is the king. That's why he says, Jesus, remember when you come into your kingdom. He's saying, hey, you're the king of the kingdom. Jesus, can you remember me? I I trust you. I believe you. This second criminal sees Jesus clearly. He is innocent and he is the king of the universe. Everyone else is mocking, saying, come on, Jesus, save yourself. And yet this criminal can actually see that Jesus is in the process of saving others through being on the cross. You know, he may not have understood everything that took place at the cross and understood a really rich theology of atonement. (laughs) But he understood enough. And we've got an even more privileged position than than this criminal had beside Jesus. This side of the cross and this side of the completion of the Bible, we can understand exactly what is happening. You see, in the very next paragraph, we're going to see that Jesus will die, a death that is substitutionary in nature. And Jesus will die like a criminal for the sake of criminals. Jesus will die the death that sinners deserve in their place. You see, the the consequence of sin, breaking God's rules and making up our own, is is death, not just physical death, but spiritual death. And Jesus doesn't deserve death because Jesus is without sin. And yet, here's the thing, if we have seen ourselves clearly, we need to know that we are the ones who actually are deserving of death. We are the ones who are deserving of the righteous anger of a good, holy, just God. And so when Jesus dies on the cross, He is taking upon Himself eternal judgment that we deserve for our rebellion against God. Quick show of hands if you're a fan of science. Any science nerds out there? Okay, hands down. Uh, This is me in my science class back in the 1950s. No, that's not me in my class, that's the 1950s, I'm not that old, but uh, I suck at science and the highlight of science for me was year seven, because in year seven, you just got to play with stuff. Uh, I didn't realise at the time, but I had ADHD, right, and so I just wanted to play with stuff. The, the gas taps were fun, big flames were fun, like tripods and Bunsen burners and I don't know what all this stuff, test tubes, beakers... The bang, bang, mashy thing, um, I'm not sure what that was for, but it was lots of fun. But here's the thing, my favourite lesson in year seven math, math, science, 
was the magnifying glass lesson. I can still remember Miss Ferguson from Gosford High where I went to school and in that class she said, now class, today we're going to play with magnifying, she didn't have a voice like that at all, but <laughs> let's pretend she did, we're going to play with magnifying glasses, I want you to go out into the playground and I want you to find a leaf and with the magnifying glass, I want you to burn your name on that leaf. <laughs> what an awesome lesson. Because very quickly, you seven boys represent, you, you work out that you don't need to really worry about writing your name because you can kill ants. More fun. If you team up with another friend, you can get one friend to hold another friend and then hold your hand over their leg and get the sun to kind of come down through to sizzle their thigh. That's fun. <laughs> I'm not recommending this behavior. Just trying to teach you how magnifying glasses work. So here's the thing. How does a magnifying glass work? Well, imagine this is a magnifying glass. And everyone see it? Just imagine. And you've got the magnifying glass. I'll hold it up a bit. There we go. And the magnifying glass looks up at the sun and the hot stuff up there and says, Oi! Come at me! And the the sun and ultraviolet things kind of come down through the glass. And then as they push through the glass, they kind of... <laughs> there's, there's a scientific term for that. <laughs> they refractorate. <laughs> and what, what happens, right? It generates enough heat to be able to fry an ant, write your name on a leaf and fry your friend's leg, right? You can start a, you can start a big fire through that. And I want you to imagine for a moment, in all seriousness, I want you to imagine for a moment that as Jesus is dying on that cross 2,000 years ago, that there's a massive magnifying glass above his head. And if you read further or earlier on, in, uh, further in the account here, you'll understand that it was dark when Jesus is on the cross, so there's no sun, there's no ultraviolet rays to kind of go through this magnifying glass, but I want you to imagine for a moment that through that magnifying glass that's above Jesus' head, and passing down through that magnifying glass onto Jesus, is your sin, is your guilt, is your shame, is the anger of God, the righteous, just anger of God that you deserve, Jesus. It's poured out on Him. He takes it all. He pays the penalty in your place. The sinless one dies in the place of sinners. This guy, he recognizes that Jesus is, is, is the King. And Jesus right now is showing how loving he is as a king, as he dies for us. Have you, have you seen Jesus clearly? Have you seen that he is the one who's without sin? Have you seen that he is the one who is the king, who is the saviour? And have you accepted Jesus' work on your behalf? Have you kind of recognized not just who you are, but who he is, and just said, Thank you? I'll take it. You know, we began considering the best life, and, and the question we began with was, What does Jesus say 
about the best life. And so the final thing I want you to see is the promise of paradise. The promise of paradise, and I really want you to track with me on this one. Because if you want the best life, if you want the best life, have a look at what Jesus offers to this criminal who has seen himself clearly, has seen Jesus clearly. Look at the final sentence in the section, sentence 43. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Did you hear it? Jesus is offering paradise. Jesus is offering eternal life. Eternal relationship with the God who made us and the God who loves us. That is the best life. It lasts forever. This paradise that Jesus offers is so much better than any tropical paradise you'll find on the hashtag living my best life Instagram feed. Not only did Jesus die on the cross for us, but Jesus rose again from the grave. Death could not hold him down. And so the promise of paradise with Jesus is a promise that just as Jesus' grave is empty, your grave will be empty. All who are found in Jesus, we will be raised with him, enjoying eternal life, enjoying paradise, taking hold of for eternity the best life. How do you get it? By seeing yourself clearly. By seeing Jesus clearly, you are guilty of sin and he is innocent, yet he lovingly came to die for you, to take your sin upon himself. Now, what you need to see is the criminal had no time to get baptized. He had no time to give money to the church. He had no time to turn his life around. It's kind of in his final moments. It's never too late to turn to Jesus. But I want to encourage you, because maybe you've been dancing around this Jesus thing for a while, thinking, it's kind of cool. I kind of like what Jesus is offering, but I'll wait, I'm young. Well, it's never too late, but you don't know when the end of your life will come. You don't know when it's too late, and you, you, uh, you will die without Christ. And so the call of Jesus and the invitation of Jesus is to follow Him now. Now, does this mean, I need to say this really clearly, does this mean that if you come to Jesus, your life's just going to be awesome all of a sudden in every single way? No, not necessarily. Actually, for some 215 million Christians around the world, following Jesus actually comes at a great cost. They live under the constant threat of physical persecution because they are following Jesus. But here's the thing. Any hardship in this life is but a scratch, but a pixel on the, on the big high-definition screen of eternity compared to eternity with Jesus in paradise. What does Jesus say about the best life? Jesus says it belongs to all who trust in Him. And Jesus wants to invite all no matter who you are, no, no matter the sin, no matter the shame, no matter the things you carry, the, things you've, the places you've come from, 
Jesus offers you the promise of paradise and I want to invite you to take hold of that tonight. I want to invite you tonight, if you're not yet a Christian, a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to become one. A great first step in becoming a Christian is to say three simple words of faith to God. The three words, sorry, thanks and please. Sorry God for my sin and my rebellion. Just see yourself clearly for a moment and say, God, I'm sorry about that. Secondly, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that He didn't sin. Thank you that He died my death. Thank you that He rose again. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And then thirdly, please. God, please forgive me. And God, please help me now to live with Jesus as my King. To even say, Jesus, remember me when you come as king, acknowledging him, not just as the one who saves us, but the one who rules us. And so, to conclude tonight, uh, I reckon there's four groups of people, broadly speaking, that are here tonight. I want you to listen carefully as I explain these four groups, and I want you to think about which one you are. The first group of people here tonight are those who are already followers of Jesus. Awesome. (laughs) got a challenge for you. Keep following Jesus. Keep trusting Jesus. You don't need to become a Christian again tonight. You don't need to do that every time there's a guest speaker. You're already following Jesus. Awesome. Keep going. Keep following Him. Group number two, though, are those that, hey, yeah, you're Christian. You've made, maybe you're from a religious family. Maybe you've made some type of confession of faith before. You're Christian, but you know you've been wandering away. And perhaps tonight you've got a greater clarity on who you are and you're kidding yourself and an even greater clarity on how wonderful Jesus is. And so the challenge for you tonight, if, hey, yeah, you've got some type of a Christian background, but you've wondered from Jesus, is, is turn back to Jesus tonight. Make tonight a significant turning point in your faith story. Group number three are those who are not Christian. But you've heard enough, and you're ready. You're ready to become Christian. You're ready to kind of see yourself clearly, see Jesus clearly, and, and the challenge for you tonight is turn to Jesus for the first time. Hey, you might still have questions. That's okay. I've still got questions. But you've heard enough. Let me encourage you to make tonight the night where you turn to Jesus for the first time and receive the best life, the eternal life, the paradise life that He offers. Group number four are those of you who are not sure about Jesus or still have questions. Um, we are really glad that you're here. The challenge for you is keep hanging out with the youth group that brought you along and keep checking out Jesus, keep asking those questions about Him. You've got the four groups. Group one, you're, you're a follower of Jesus. Challenge? Keep following Jesus. Group two, hey, you're a Christian, but you know you've wandered away from Jesus. And so the challenge is turn back to Jesus tonight. Group three, you're not a Christian, you're ready to become one. The challenge, turn to Jesus for the very first time. And group four are those who are just not sure and we don't want to press you into anything and we really want to encourage you to keep asking those questions. Have a think for a moment. Group one, Christian. Group two, Christian, but you need to come back. Group three, ready to become a Christian for the first time. Group four, not quite sure. Just have a think by yourself for a moment. Am I a one? Am I a two? Am I a three? Am I a four? And in a moment, I want to invite you, if you are a one, two or three, to pray a simple sorry, thanks, please prayer. 
Uh, now, group one, you don't need to pray this to become a Christian again. You're already Christian, but I think this is a good shape of a prayer to pray every day. Uh, sorry, thanks, and please to God. But group two and three in particular, I really want to invite you to pray this prayer, and I want to invite you to do something bold tonight. I want to invite you, if you're a number two or a number three, in a moment when I say, I want you to take a tangible step to actually stand up in a moment to kind of mark out this day. So if you're a number two who, who is kind of turning back to Jesus, having wandered away from Him, uh, I'll get you to stand in a moment. And if you're a number three, ready to become a Christian for the first time, I'll get you to join them as well. Why do that? Well, I think it's a wonderful way to kind of mark out this as a moment of either coming back to Jesus or becoming a Christian for the first time. And so, hey, if you're a number two, don't even look around going, is anyone else going to stand up first? If you, if you know that, yeah, there's some type of Christian background, but you need to come back to Jesus, I'd love you to stand up right now. Amen. Don't be shy. Christians who need to come back to Jesus, praise God. Let's give those guys a clap for standing up. Remain standing. And as they remain standing, if you want to come to Jesus for the very first time, do it tonight, and you're ready to do that, stand up and join them as well. Awesome. Yeah, let's put our hands together. We're going to pray. I'm going to pray a prayer. Those, those people are going to remain standing. We love you and we're so glad that you're standing there and we're expecting about all that will come as you've put your trust in Jesus, uh, whether for the first time or whether you've come back to Him. Uh, and so one, twos and threes, we're going to pray this prayer together. I'm going to pray a bit, leave a gap and get you to echo it out loud uh, as we pray a sorry thanks please prayer to God. So ones who are remaining seated and twos and threes who are standing, let's pray. Dear God, that was lame. Let's do it again. One, two, three. Here we go. Dear God, Dear God I am sorry for my sin. I am sorry for rejecting you. I don't deserve your love. Thanks for sending Jesus to die on the cross. In my place and for my sin. So I may be forgiven. Thanks that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me. Help me to love Jesus and live with Jesus as my king. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's put our hands together one more time. As, as these guys grab a seat, hey, in all seriousness, this is a moment of celebration uh, it is a moment of giving thanks to God. The Bible even says, even when just one person turns to Jesus, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels in heaven. Uh, we would love to help you if you're a one, two, three, or four with whatever your next step is. And so Jordan's going to help us uh, to walk through uh, our next step. Thanks, Jordan.